What is up, night fans? Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here for the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. This is episode number 12, recording this on Wednesday night, October the 19th, 2016. And what a busy week it has been, Eric, hasn't it? Yeah, that's the understatement of the year. Uh, we got a few things to talk about. Let's just go uh, on record on that. <laughs> yeah, well, you got a lot on the agenda tonight. We're going to talk, obviously, about uh, the football devastating loss at home to Temple. Uh, we're going to break that down and look uh, ahead to the game against UConn, the civil conflict, as it were. Uh, we are also going to go on and on and on and on and on about the Big 12 thing that all went down because we finally have our chance to get on the record about that. Uh, and we have lots of news on the um, Olympic sports front, particularly with volleyball. Huge weekend for volleyball just concluded and another huge weekend coming up. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to also look us up on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret. That's Banner with an E-T at the end. And uh, also, don't forget, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, leave us a rating on there. Tell your UCF friends all about us. Give us a subscription. And, uh, hey, send us a message, too, if you want to as well. So more than happy to uh, take some uh, listener mail. If uh, you get the opportunity, you can send that to us on our Facebook page as well. So, well, what a busy week it has been. For UCF football, Eric Lopez, UCF in general, we will start with the game against Temple, homecoming. Boy, things were looking great for UCF early on as they jumped out to a 25-7 lead uh, after the first basically 18 minutes of the game. Big plays all over the place. Traquan Smith with a 55-yard touchdown catch. Uh, Mackenzie Milton's 63-yard touchdown run made it 25-7. But then all of a sudden, things started coming apart for the Knights as they gave up a touchdown before the half to Temple, and then a couple field goals, and then with one second to go, Temple, P.J. Walker, who now goes by Phillip apparently, an eight-yard touchdown pass to Keith Kirkwood that capped off a four-play, 70-yard drive in 31 seconds with no timeouts to knock off UCF 26 to 25 and send the Knights down to 3 and 3, 1 and 1 in the league. Temple uh now above 500 at 4 and 3, 2 and 1 in the league. Eric, we talked coming into this game about how UCF could have made it a two-horse race in the Eastern Division by handing what would have been Temple's second loss in the conference to them. Everyone else except for UCF and USF would have had two losses and uh, both of the Florida teams would have been undefeated in conference. As it is now, these two teams are tied in the loss column, and now Temple has the game in hand. USF, obviously, still with the advantage. They're undefeated in the Eastern Division. Um, was this a disaster? Uh, no, you know, I, I know some people feel that way. They feel that the, you know, yes, UCF kind of, it's a game that kind of slipped away, but you know, I thought Temple made some nice adjustments. Give him credit. I thought Temple's defensive line outplayed UCF's offensive line. Gave him some problems, especially UCF in the second for, half. UCF led for 58 minutes and 12 seconds in this game and still lost. Yeah. Um, but they didn't put him away. 
And Temple kind of hung in there. And then in the second half, they kind of controlled the tempo. Uh, what was it? Time of possession. Temple had the ball for 22 minutes, I think, in the second half. Yeah. UCF couldn't get anything going on offense, Jeff. And the thing about this offense, okay, anybody that follows this offense, if this offense doesn't move the chains, it's going to be off the field real quick, which means your defense is going to be on the field right away. And that's what you saw in the second half result. Uh, some miscues there. And, you know, and yet UCF defensively, I thought, did a pretty good job because they kept holding Temple to field goals, even though it had lengthy drives. And they had some issues with those two backs, who I think are very talented for Temple, by the way, they're as advertised. Uh, Raddick on the defensive line for Temple is, is advertised. Um, but at, at the same time, when you give a team so many different possessions, uh, so many possessions, they're going to eventually uh, cash in. And boy, uh, credit to Walker, who really didn't throw the ball well in the entire game until that last 30 second drive. And I don't know what clicked into him, but he, uh, he executed that perfectly. Uh, um, oh, yeah, you're perfect. right. And, uh, give him credit. That was a heck of a drive. It's one of the best 30 second drives seen in person ever. That was a senior drive, man. That was really was. a senior drive because I'm I'm going to do the math real quick in my head here. Um, prior to that drive, Walker, his statistics for the game, he was 8 of 20 for 97 yards and one touchdown and one interception. Right. On that drive, 4 for 4, 70 yards and a touchdown. That was a wow. that was a senior performance by and, Philip Walker to, yeah. to play as poorly as he did, like you said, and then when with the chips on the table to do that against our defense, uh, uh, you got to tip your hat to him, senior quarterback. And man, am I glad we don't have to see him again. Yeah, and you know, give him credit. And I know some people are this, you know, were questioning the play calling there in the final UCF drive. Were they too conservative? Look, my thing was. You don't want to turn the ball over in that situation. You definitely don't want to throw the football. Uh, I think UCF kind of, look, would try to get the first down, and they didn't. They got the punt. I mean, who would have thought Temple could go 70 yards that quick without a timeout, and they did. So, uh, you know, it's a learning experience. Uh, it's a young team, young coaching staff, and certainly it's a team that's still going to be up and down, and that's what young teams tend to do. They're going to look good at moments, and in moments they're not going to look good, and in a way, maybe, you know, that's that's part of the, the, the three and three of the season, and that's part of the process. So I, I don't know. I mean, could there be some things you can, you know, nitpick and question? I guess. But let's be honest, Jeff. If if Temple throws an incompletion on that last pass or two and UCF gets away with a win, I'm not sure how many how much, you know, criticism would uh, be going on right now. So uh, while it's disappointing, I think yeah, from a Knights perspective, you just have to learn from it. And when you have a freshman quarterback, a freshman running back, and I think you told me it's more of a freshman uh, first-year head coach yeah. is like a freshman with a young staff, you're, you're, you're going to make some mistakes and things aren't going to go smoothly all the time. Yeah, I, th- I felt like uh, listening to the postgame uh, that, that Scott Frost, it, it sounded in his voice like he kind of blamed himself for how the second half unfolded. Here's Scott Frost. <laughs> Last game was one of the toughest losses I've been a part of. Um, jumped out to good start, played really well. Uh, guys made plenty of plays to win the game. Um, we just were one play short, and there was about 40 chances to do it. Um, and we got to find a way to get over that hump. Uh, but we're looking forward to getting back on the field again. And and going back to it, um, it, it felt like they 
to me, they felt like they took the foot off the gas pedal when they got the big lead because now we uh, some of us weren't expecting Mackenzie Milton to start and he played. He started and he started the whole game, played the whole game. Um and it felt like they were trying to both run some clock albeit unsuccessfully and kind of preserve him to an extent, especially in the fourth quarter. And uh, that didn't work. I thought that the defense actually did a great job and you mentioned this um holding Temple to field goals. Otherwise, this thing could have been a runaway for the Owls in the second half. And the Knights' defense actually kept them in the game. Uh, Milton, for the game, was 13 of 22 for 210, two scores and a pick. Bad, a bad interception. It was a miscommunication with him and the receiver. The receiver was going on a go route, and yeah. he threw the pass. He and I wonder... A little bit too inside. Yep. It, it, it felt like, he, it felt like he, he sort of underthrew that ball in terms of his trajectory, I thought, from what I, from what I was seeing. And I think maybe that goes into the part of the strategy in the fourth quarter. you got a freshman quarterback. You don't want him to make a mistake with a fumble or a, a sack. You know, and they were getting, you know, he was taking a lot of sacks, too. Yeah. Uh, unnecessary sacks from a, and that's the thing he's got to learn. I don't think he's got a pocket presence there yet. He took some le- bad sacks too, and I think that all of that maybe contributed to what maybe was perceived as a, uh, you know, uh, taking the the gas, you know, the you know, the foot off the gas pedal, if you will. But you know, they had twelve penalties too, which hurt hurt them on some drives, both offensively and defensively. So uh, I think it was just like a lot of combination of things that just didn't break and. Uh, you gave Temple a chance, and I was nervous. I was watching that whole game, and I'm thinking, man, if Walker can just make some throws for Temple here, UCF could be in real trouble. And unfortunately, he did. He chose the last drive of the game to make yeah. those throws. And he had he had to make, with no timeouts, he had to make all four of those throws. One of them goes yep. incomplete. The game's over. Um, yep. From UCF's perspective, the running game kind of did betray them in this game. Only 86 net yards rushing on 36 attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, well, or a lot of that because of the sacks. Right. 86 yards lost because of the sacks and uh, to compared to 172 yards gain. And I actually hate the fact that they do that in the stupid box score in the NCAA. Come on, get your <laughs> act together. But um, that was – in the second half, it just, it just didn't work. So now the conference standings look like this. USF at the top, 3-0. and in the East, at least. Navy and Memphis still undefeated at t- in the top of the West. But in the East, um, it's USF undefeated 3-0. and Temple is 2-1. and The Knights are 1-1. One and one. Everyone else with two or three losses. UConn has three losses. Cincinnati 0-3. East Carolina 0-2. And, and lo and behold, it's the first of two consecutive road games for the Knights, as they've had now their only home date for the month of October against Temple. That's an L so now they have to go on the road for two straight tough ones, UConn and Houston. And coming up is UConn, three and four overall, one and three um, in the conference. Bob Diaco's team uh, is struggling. Uh, looking at what they've done in their last uh, five games, they lost to USF. They defeated Cincinnati, but they've given up a lot of points. Uh, they gave up 42 to Houston at Houston, uh, lost to Syracuse. Thirty-one twenty-four, uh, and then they did have a win against. They did look think, put, things look pretty good for them after that win against Virginia. Thirteen to ten for the Huskies, but uh, since then, uh, you know, forty-two twenty and forty-two points given up. 
And uh, coming off the, U- the USF loss, now they, they come home for uh, the civil conflict, which I still can't believe people think that's a thing. And, um, and these two teams coming off of losses. So um, st- uh, Hartford not exactly, hasn't exactly been kind to the Knights in the past, uh, as we saw a couple years ago. Uh, what do you see from this game, Eric? This is going to be a tough bounce back for UCF, I think. It is, and we'll learn a lot about this team and how they handle that going on the road. And look, you look at the schedule now, three and three. I don't think you can even talk division at this point. You got to focus about each game. And the question becomes, can what, how do you get to that magic number of bowl eligibility, which is six wins? If you look at the schedule, you got at Connecticut, at Houston, you've got then Tulane, you've got, uh, Tulsa, Cincinnati, excuse me, then Tulsa, then at USF. So, uh, Those three games before think, USF at home, too, by the way. So can't forget that. That's that's going to correct. Happen. So so let's be honest. They're going to be a heavy underdog in, at Houston, and they're going to be a heavy underdog, probably a, a heavy underdog, maybe seven eight point underdog to USF, I would guess, uh, on those two road games. So if if you believe, and I think many believe before the season that they would lose those two games, that puts you at five losses. Uh, you know, so the question becomes. You, the rest of the games, you can only afford to drop one game. And that, you know, we're not even talking about a very good Tulsa team that I, I like a lot. Gave Houston all they could handle this past weekend in the conference. Yeah, Tulsa's that's going to be, again, I, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. That's going to be a shootout. And that's going to be, I think, UCF's toughest home game. So that makes this game big because if you win this game, I think it shows that you bounce back from a tough loss and then you go back to four and three. And I think you're still feeling pretty good with some confidence going to Houston. If you lose this game, you drop to three and four. Now you got to go to Houston, and and now all of a sudden you're like, uh oh, you know, you you you're you're you're, you're kind of in trouble here. Maybe going three and five, coming home against Tulane. So uh, this is a very key game to see where we're at for the season and where it's going against the UConn team that's clearly given UCF some fits. And uh, over the last couple of years, including two years ago, a very bitter loss for UCF. Anybody, everybody remembers that. That was really Bob Diaco's first big win uh, in his first year there at UConn. They were kind of, UCF was a huge favorite, and it was a weird day in, in, in Hartford. Now, for those that don't know. rainy and disgusting yeah, that day. Sleet. And I remember I've spoken to Terrence Plummer the linebacker for the Knights, who has now obviously been uh, bouncing around with the practice squads with the Vikings and so forth. And I spoke to him about that game, I want to say it was about a year ago. You know, I hung out with him, and uh, he talked about that's the one bitter loss of his career uh, because, you know, they didn't have the right cleats, and they just didn't, you know, they just, as a senior, he was disappointed that they didn't do a better job taking that game seriously. Cause if you remember, if they don't lose that UConn game, uh, odds are not, they win the conference outright, not share the conference title. And they feel like they would have played in the, uh, the major all access bowl game that year, possibly in Atlanta. Instead, that year it ended up going to Boise, who beat Arizona because of that, because that was, uh, UCF's uh, second loss. They had lost to Penn State all earlier in the season. So that's a very bitter loss um, for a lot of UCF fans and the players and, and talking to Terrence about it. Uh, so they have to be ready because, uh, you know, at the, you know, it, I don't expect great weather in Hartford. I don't know if it'll be as bad as it was that year, but it could be. It could be rainy. It could be windy. Um, and and it, that, it's going to be ugly. And how does a young team handle that 
especially a team that's had some issues with the fumbles, and in particular the quarterback, Milton. Yeah, uh, I was just taking taking a look at uh, – by the way, Terrence Plummer actually just signed with the CFL just recently. Got some news on him. Thank so you. Good. good for uh, him. Vegas is expecting a low-scoring game. Uh, the over-under right now is 48. Um, although the predicted score on oddshark.com is basically 17 to 14 in favor of UConn. So um, they're expecting um, a very low-scoring affair. Knights are favored by four in this game. Uh Interestingly enough, UCF uh, this season uh, on the road uh, two and one, uh, or excuse me, two and one against the spread uh, overall, or two and zero oh against the spread away, uh, I should say this year, and uh, two and one overall uh, against the number. So, um, and at least that's in terms of their last three games, two and one against the number. So, four and two against the number, by the way, overall. Yeah, four point favorite on the road. Uh, ugh, that, that always makes me a little bit nervous, but um, I think that the key is going to be that UConn has struggled. I think in particular at the quarterback position. Bryant Sheriff's their quarterback this year uh, at over fifteen hundred yards, seven touchdowns, four picks. Not spectacular. He's shown some moments, but uh, uh, really hasn't been overly great. I do think that uh, UConn is susceptible to uh, giving up some turnovers in particular. And, again, the environment is going to be something that UCF is going to have to overcome because this is probably not going to be a fast track at Rentschler Field. Uh, So, again, they they, they may have to slog it out kind of a little bit, which I don't think our offense is particularly used to doing. I I, I mean, I still would keep UCF as the favorite, but this one makes me nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky situation. I've been there. Uh, uh, there's a nice bowling alley, uh, alley, by the way, by the stadium, if, uh, if your fans are traveling out there for the uh, game. Let me tell you how excited everyone's <laughs> going to be to go to a bowling alley after the game. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, after the game. I'm saying maybe the night before, <laughs> you know, I mean, because let's be it's not like, uh, trust me, downtown Hartford, not the biggest, you know, uh, you know, atmosphere. Not, the, not, a, not a very bustling metropolis. No, no. I mean, it's funny. I was just there in April because uh, I was with UCF softball. They played in stores, Connecticut. And that was the the series where I was introduced to snow for the first time in person. They got snowed <laughs> out. I'm not even kidding. They got snowed out on the Sunday game, got rained out on Saturday, snowed out on Sunday. Uh, so I actually got to play with snow on that Sunday. And then we bust to uh, Hartford, because that's where we're flying out of, and we drove by the stadium. Yeah. And I don't know if some people, and, that, and you know, that's important to acknowledge for people that may not be aware of this. Connecticut, actually, their football, they play in Hartford, not in stores. So uh, that was very interesting. And then we just hung out at, a, I think, at a bowling alley, uh, getting ready for our flight. And I think the, there was a nice, some, there's some nice food areas changed there. But uh, look, I mean, that's, it's a tricky spot. Uh, how do they deal with the elements? Uh, will be fascinating. Turnovers could be a key. Now, the good news is, again, though, I think this defense is, you know, is playing well, and I think the key here is for the defense to force some turnovers on UConn 
and give them, you know, kind of fall behind the eight ball. I, I don't think UConn's a type of team that's going to come from behind. UConn is a team that has to have the lead early. They're not going to come back like Temple did. And I feel like if UCF were to get the lead early, they can pound them with the running game. And I've noticed, Jeff, I don't know if you've noticed this week, you know, Coach Diaco, Connecticut, he's been very quiet. Like, they even asked him about the trophy, and now he's all of a sudden, like, kind of pushing off the, brushing off those questions. He's not talking about it, which is very bizarre. And, uh, here, as you hear it right here, he is, uh, I tell you, there may not be a, an opposing coach, a bigger fan of this UCF program and admirer than Coach Diaco. Um, I thought the Coach O'Leary's teams were, and that, and obviously the proof's in the pudding there. He won a tremendous amount, and he had great, great football teams. And you could see that on tape, electric playmakers, great effort, great toughness, belief, innovative systems in all three phases. And Coach Frost has done the same thing. So he's lockstep with the DNA of the program and, and uh, has taken over. And, and it, it, it's, you know, it doesn't look like they've really lost uh, a lot from, from Coach O'Leary's uh, uh, overall program. Oh, come on, Diaco. You're the one who started it with this stupid trophy. Let's get, let, let's stand by it here a little bit here. Where is that? Where's the, the picture in the UConn office? I want to know where that thing is. What did you think of that uh, of that clip of him breaking, saying that the Scott Frost program is basically where the George O'Leary program left off? <laughs> what about that? What does I that mean, even mean? I, you know, he's always been a huge admirer of O'Leary. That's why he did the trophy. He wanted to, you know, replicate what UCF has done, but yet, as you just heard on the clip, he talks about how you know all these great athletes and this stuff that O'Leary had under O'Leary, and then he's like, "Yeah, Scott Frost seems to pick up right where the O'Leary program was," and they're about the same. I'm like, "Did he miss the 0 and 12 year?" Did yeah, he- did he forget <laughs> that we went 0 and 12 last year? Apparently so. Apparently so. It was great. I loved it. I don't, uh, I don't get it, man. This guy, this guy is so out of left field. I don't get it but he, anymore. But but he is. But one thing I will say in his credit, he's a very good defensive mind, and that'll be interesting. I'm true. fascinated. Uh, look at Notre Dame. They haven't been the same defensively since he's left, in my opinion. So, and he's done a pretty good job at Connecticut. Let's be honest. He got him to a bowl game last year and stuff like that. So, uh, I'm curious to see what he comes up with for this UCF offense and how does Scott Frost and 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 you know, they come up as a as a counter to what Connecticut will bring to the table. I would be very fascinated to see that on Saturday. Yeah, it should be a very good game. Uh, I, I'm expecting this to be a good one. Kickoff is set for noon Eastern time, and it's on ESPN News. And uh, do we have a TV crew for that game, Eric? Well, I know that Rini Angolia will be your uh, color analyst for that game. He did the UCF Temple game. Uh, so, in fact, I chatted with him about that. It was funny because I chatted with him uh, during the Temple game. Uh, I think it was at halftime, and he talked about it. It just kind of worked out, kind of a unique circumstances, that he got to do UCF back-to-back weeks just like he did last year. Last year, he worked the Houston-UCF game and then had to go to Cincinnati and work the UCF-Cincinnati game. Uh, it just kind of works out, he says. It's not like prearranged or anything. It just kind of worked out that way for him. Uh, he was, you know, so he will be in store. He, he's going to be in Connecticut and, uh, he'll get his second week in a row that he will see, uh, UCF in person, uh, going up against Connecticut. And, you know, that he, he does a great job. So uh, that'll be a good broadcast. I'm not too concerned with that. Uh, I know some people, for some reason, always obsess about those kind of things. 
But uh, um, I, I'm not. I, I Like I said, I think he'll do a very good job in that broadcast. And, look, it is what it is. I mean, UConn, the good news is it's a noon game, which yeah. I do like. Like, it could be worse. It could be like a Saturday night and the weather is really cold, you know. Right. So while they, I, while I think they're going to have some weather to deal with, I, I don't think it'll be as bad as it might have been, say, if it was a night game, for example. By the way, he's working with, uh, and by the way, he's working with Mike Corey. Yeah, Mike Corey will be the, say for, is the play-by-play guy. So, um, you know, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated to see uh, how they react. I'm not going to pretend and think that I know because I, I, I gotta be honest. Of all, this is, wow, I've been following UCF football since, off and on since about 97, 98. This is probably one of the more unpredictable UCF teams. It's a very up and down team that, uh, you know, it's a half to half situation. I'm not comfortable saying, yeah, this is, they're definitely going to do this or do that in this kind of an environment. And, uh, that, that's why I'm fascinated to see how they react to this. Uh, weather, by the way, for uh, East Hartford on Saturday, there's a front blowing through the day before on Friday because uh, the high in Hartford in East Hartford was actually uh, nice on Friday, high of 73. Then the front blows through, scattered showers, high of 54, low of 39. So, um, And it's actually going to get colder as the day goes on. Um, and uh, but the problem there is not just going to be the se- uh, the sixty percent chance of showers. The problem there is also going to be the wind. Yep, nineteen miles an hour predicted. So um, it's going to come down to the running game once again for UCF. So uh, yep, again, UConn by the way, news. UConn by the way, averaging one hundred and twenty nine yards given up on the ground. That's twenty six best in the country. UCF's 33rd in the country in rushing over 200 yards a game. Very interesting about Diaco's team, by the way. They don't do a lot. They don't get a lot of penalties. Uh, you realize they're number two in the country, averaging only 29 yards a game in penalties. Uh, that's a, I'm concerned about that. And I, that's why I'm bringing that up. I'm concerned because we've seen a lot of penalties from this UCF team and UConn plays a clean game penalty wise. Yeah. So that's a concern. Keep that in mind. I always, Penalty yards to me are kind of like hitting yards because it costs you field position or cost you opportunities. Uh, I think those two categories I just brought up. Keep that in mind as you watch this game. Yeah, we were pretty undisciplined against Temple, and 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 part of that I think does have to do with the whole UCF fierce thing. Is that you know you kind of want the players to play at 180 miles an hour, and sometimes you're going to make um, mistakes like that. I don't think they've been me- mental mistakes. I think they've been mistakes of effort for the most part. There have been some mental mistakes, but that is another thing we're going to have to keep an eye on. Noon, kickoff, ESPN News, be there, uh, UCF and UConn. All right, stick around. When we get back here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, we finally put an end to the stupid Big 12 story that, that has wasted two years of our lives. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Figley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon. He's Eric Lopez, and uh, we're moving on from football to talk, well, things that get punted. 
How about that? Um, Big 12. We knew this day would come. Actually, you know what, though? Maybe we didn't quite know this day would come. But anyway, the Big 12 announced that Monday, last Monday was the big day, right, Eric? Sure. Everyone was, it was moving day in the Big 12. We were going to find out if expansion was going to happen. And just like we thought, yeah, nothing happened. No expansion at all. Individual teams apparently weren't, or schools apparently were not even discussed. Um, the word coming out, Jake Trotter was actually there at the meetings uh, of ESPN and was kind of given the, the blow-by-blow um, plan of what was happening. Uh, by the way, a couple of schools have actually already released their um, – have already released their presentations, but the way it went down, they got, they had the consultant, the two consultant firms in the room for a little bit. Um, they gave their presentation two hours later on Monday, apparently the university of Texas president, um, just leaves with his backs (laughs) followed by followed 15 minutes later by the president of Texas tech university. um, Everyone else kind of filters out, and word gets out that you know we, we didn't even have a we didn't even really have a vote on anything. We just decided we're not going to we're just not going to do this. So then, um, the commissioner of the Big Twelve, Bob Bowlesby, has to go th- has to go through basically the walk of shame. They have to wait first of all three hours for this press conference that they scheduled at five thirty that day. Um, all 6.30 the schools, Eastern, six thirty, five thirty Central, because right. um, and then they have to go through the whole rigmarole of calling all the schools and saying thanks for playing, but no one's coming in. Um, David Boren, the president of Oklahoma, who is the one who actually got this whole sort of dog and pony show moving this summer by saying that they were going to they were going to consider expansion, and then he pulled back from it. Um, said there wasn't even any discussion of individual schools. Bullsby himself said, I made one recommendation that we should bring this process to closure, that we shouldn't kick the can down the road. So apparently, Big 12 expansion is, to quote Dom DeLuise, dead. D-E-D, dead. And credit to UCF, they re- uh, Danny White released uh, his statement saying, hey, we, you know, we're... You know, we're you know, we're, we're in the American Athletic Conference. We're committed to moving forward in the whole nine yards. You know how the whole thing goes. But um, this has been, it, it turns out, as the reporting of what went down actually followed through, I want to I know if you agree with me because I think you do. This turned into not just the dog and pony show. It was an extortion racket. Because yep. the Big 12... Realize that with the way their contract, TV contract is with Fox and ESPN, pro rata, which means if they add members, that means that they get to add money, equivalent to that. So from that perspective, they, that's how they wanted to expand, was just, to, just a, a deliberate money grab, right? And Correct. apparently the networks came out and said, we don't want you diluting the brand. And in addition to that, there aren't any official reports of this, but the idea right now is that Fox and ESPN are basically going to buy out the 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 Big Twelve from 
that pro-rata clause in their contract. Which accomplishes exactly what the Big 12 wanted. Now they get the championship game, which they've wanted, with less than 12 teams, and they get more money from the networks. They, and, I, and I'll tell you the truth. Like I said, this has been a fraudulent extortion racket from the very beginning. For two years, we've been covering the stupid story. It's been nothing but a waste of our time and our energy. Just a giant clickbait farm on the part of the Big 12. And for them to do this to these other teams, I'll tell you the truth. The Big 12 comes out much worse from this situation than any of the other schools who they, who they flirted with, UCF included, all the way down. And these schools are going to remember this come NCAA voting time if there's something that comes up that the Big 12 wants. And the other people who's going to remember this is the networks. Because ESPN and Fox know that they've been party to an extortion racket here. And I'll tell you the truth. I, I wrote a couple weeks back. Are we sure we want UCF in the Big 12? And, of course, a couple of people holler at me on Twitter saying, yeah, are you dumb? Of course we do. Well, what about now? What about now, now that we've seen how this conference does business? What about now with what the next TV contract is going to look like? What about now when in 2025 this league goes under after Texas and Oklahoma and whoever else decide to leave for the Pac-16 or the Big Ten or whatever? What about now? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think that Monday, actually, I think this week was a good week for UCF because nobody got expanded. So I think UCF stays in a very strong league. I've gone on record in saying that I think the Big 12 is on borrowed time. I think the Big 12 is going their separate ways. I, I am in the belief and I am in the camp and I'm not alone in this, but I mean, I've talked to people in that region. Uh, multiple regions, and there are people in the media in that outlet that have said the same thing. I think Texas and Oklahoma are going to leave. Texas and Oklahoma are going to have all the options that they want. And so they're going to do whatever they want. I think Oklahoma is going to end up in the SEC. I think Texas is going to end up in the Big Ten. And I think some of the Texas schools know this. That, that And, and, and like the, the comparison I have made I feel like this is a marriage that everybody knows it's headed for a divorce, and they're already thinking about seeing other people in the meantime and who they're going to see. They're just staying together for the kids and because of the paycheck right now to keep the mortgage going. Exactly. I believe that about six to seven years, I believe Oklahoma and Texas will part ways, and I think the Texas schools, Texas Tech, TCU, and throw I'm going to throw this team, Houston, I think are going to campaign to go to the Pac-12. And the reason I say that is because I think the Pac-12, which their network has not been great so far, they want to push that into the market of Texas and the Dallas and Houston specifically, big markets. And I could see them. And if, and I've said this, look at the Texas Tech future schedules. If you get, if you have no, you know, if you, if you have a chance, Google it. Texas Tech schedule, TCU's future schedule. They're already playing big Pac-12 teams. They're already in conversations with these Pac-12 schools. Trust me. You think that, you know, that the future hasn't been brought up. Hey, we'll play in 2023. And, uh, hey, you never know. We could play in the conference game, too. We love that trip. So, uh, trust me. Unbelievable. People are already looking ahead. And I think what you saw is I think everybody in resignation about that. Once 
Uh, a, the network went down. That was not going to happen. ESPN told the Big 12, We're, you're not going to get a Big 12 network out of this. Sorry. Well, Texas and, is the one who told it. I'm pretty sure ESPN would love to get out from underneath that network right now. Well, well sure, <laughs> right. And then when you saw David Boren, who's been very outspoken about this, start backpedaling like, yeah, I'm kind of lukewarm on this because, you know, they couldn't come to terms on the teams. And the thing is, nobody cared. This is the thing. Nobody wanted to make this league better. They, they talk a good game. But, for example, like Houston clearly, from an on-the-field standpoint, helps that conference right now. That is not a very good football league. It's the fifth best league in football at best. It's not in the ACC's range. It's not in the SEC's range. It's not in the Big 12 range. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. I think the Big 12, in terms of overall quality of the conference for football, is a lot closer to the American than it is the other I agree. Four. And I would argue that the best team in the Amer- if you if Houston would beat mo- most of those teams in the Big 12, and I, and I think USF would have a, some success too, and others. So uh, it's a very good basketball league, but it's not a great football league. Uh, the Big 12 is uh, the, the Power Four, the other major four conferences, I think, surpass them, and I don't think that's a it's a short term thing either. So uh, they don't want to improve that because Houston would have helped them from that right. standpoint. Houston and UCF both would have helped them. Would have helped them, but they're all paranoid for a variety of reasons. They don't want Houston in the conference because they take our recruits away. Oh, God, what are we going to do? That's a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of garbage. Both of those, all those teams, it's not like they haven't discovered the state of Florida, for crying out loud. Well, the Florida thing. I and just it's also like UCF doesn't get, right. to, doesn't get kids from Texas every once in a while either. Correct. Come on. And, and, and the thing is, I think the Big 12 people are naive. I think they really thought they could get a big school like a Florida State to leave the ACC to go to the Big 12. Very arrogant, very naive. Yeah, but then and the NCC dropped their grant of rights on their head, and that was that. Correct. Correct. So I think the Big 12 is going to go bye-bye. I think Oklahoma is going to the SEC, probably with Oklahoma State or West Virginia, depending on how the politics work in that. Texas and Kansas would be my uh, prediction going to the Big 10. And I think I could see a TCU, Houston, Texas Tech, and either Baylor or somebody like Colorado State become an option for the Pac-12 to expand by four. And uh, and then at that point, you know, I think a West Virginia could be in play if the ACC expands or the SEC down the road. And next thing you know, you got Iowa State and Kansas State kind of left holding the bag, and they'll be like, "Hey, Mike Oresco, can we join your league?" <laughs> you know, please. Along with along with Boise State and Air Force, and sure. you know, right or something like that. So I think the American Conference has a brighter future than the Big Twelve. Now, are they going to get the money that the Big Twelve is currently getting? Probably not. But I think the American Conference is going to be healthier and better, and probably will become the fifth best league. In eight years. And I think the question then becomes, if you're Mike Oresco, can you convince? And, and remember, that the, the eight years we keep bringing up is because of all the TV contracts come up and all this stuff comes up but with the conferences. Yeah, and from so 2023 forth. to 2025, they're kind of staggered a little bit, but they're all up at about the same time. Correct. The big thing you're hoping if you're the American conference is will the playoff expand? That's the thing that nobody talks about. Will the playoff expand? to say eight teams because if it does now all of a sudden the American conference has an opportunity if the big 12 implodes like we believe it will now all of a sudden yes you're going to have the four power four automatic conference champions but I could see a scenario can Mike Oresco or the American conference if they prove to be a good league get themselves a slot in that playoff and that you know what that means more money 
<laughs> more so, money. And right. I think that they, you know, we've talked before with uh, some folks who, who are in the know on this that, you know, there might be some interesting business to be done with the Mountain West Conference as well. Sure, they have options. That's the thing. There are options out there. I don't know if they will do that or won't do that. Time will remain. But yeah. look, the American is a very, very good league. I think from UCF's perspective, the good news is the league is intact. You don't lose Houston. You don't lose Cincinnati. You don't lose anybody. And you still, so the league will stay strong from that standpoint. You still have USF, which is a growing rivalry. And I think Danny White has said this. He said this in the statement and he, he said it over and over. And I agree. I think UCF, you don't need to worry. Don't worry about the conferences that you're in and where you're going and all that. Worry about yourself yeah. and try to become a top 25 athletic department. That's what Danny White's goal is. And I agree with it 100%. If you're a top 25 program in all sports, People are going to come knocking on your door at some in about in, down the road. It, it, that's the way it works. You know that's how Boise State is well known now. That's how Houston has all of a sudden become known with her, the success they've had in football. If UCF can do that in football and all the sports and basketball, okay, basketball included, become a winner, then people are going to take notice. People are going to know who you are, and now you become more attractive. You become a brand, and now you become attractive to television and so forth, and it just kind of carries over. So. That's what UCF's focus should always have been and, and is. And uh, I, I don't think this is a, a bad day for UCF by any stretch because I think you and I are in the same camp. I, I never believed UCF was going to get in. Uh, I thought they were always on the outside looking in. And my concern was that they were going to pluck a Houston and Cincinnati, for example, and maybe somebody else. And now all of a sudden the Americans got to expand and then the league's not as strong. But that didn't happen. So – I think UCF's just fine, and I think that uh, the institutions, like you said, will have the last laugh here because I think the Big 12, uh, they're on borrowed time and the clock's ticking. Statement from Danny White. I wanted to get this on the record. Quote, since I arrived at UCF, I've been saying that we can be a nationally competitive top 25 athletics program. I still believe that today. Our future success does not depend on our conference affiliation. It is based on our unlimited potential. The American Athletic Conference is a great league, and we're very confident about our future in the American, end quote. That's from UCF Vice President and Director of Athletics, Danny White. Here are uh, Here is um, Bob Bowlesby during the press conference after the uh, Big 12 expansion fiasco. I really feel good about uh, the strength of our conference going forward. I, I, I think that uh, this was, uh, was really not a decision not to expand. Um, this was uh, an endorsement and a reinvestment in uh, in the strength of the 10 that we have. And let's see, I got one more here. Oh, here's, uh, here's uh, David Boren, the president of Oklahoma. Our institutions of our very strong commitment to the Big 12, uh, to the strength and stability of this conference, I have never heard since I've been on the board such strong commitments and such a unified sense of purpose because I've seen speculation that there was discussion of individual schools or there were a series of uh, considerations of whether there were support, uh, a supermajority for any admission of any particular school. There was no such discussion. I tell you, frauds all these guys in the Big 12, all of them. (laughs) Absolute frauds. I can't, I mean, I, I... we can officially thank God. We can officially be done with this. Over. And, and, I had, and, and and one last word on this. 
um, along the lines of what Danny White was saying, was, you know, I, I mean, the TV networks controlled all this from the beginning. When ESPN and Fox came out against it, that was pretty much it. Yep. And I even keep going back to when you brought up Chris Fowler's tweet, you know, who's essentially the spokesperson for college football on, on ESPN. But right. um, one of the um, UCF fans out there said to me, um, who shall remain nameless. I know who it is, but um, basically said, you know, I want us to be in the Big 12 because if we don't get in, in in this round of expansion, you know, where's our lifeboat? To which I say, screw your lifeboat. Let's spend the next eight years building a freaking aircraft carrier, man. Right? And let's make this, and, and let's worry, let's build on the inside. Let's make it, instead of pleading with some conference, oh, please, please, please let us in and we'll be one of your little brothers and have to sell our souls to something, someone like Texas or Oklahoma. Let's be the big fish in the little pond now in the American and dominate that conference for the next decade. And then we'll see who's on top. All right. That's it with Big 12 expansion. No more. I'm done. I'm finished with this stupid freaking story. Okay. Um, I really feel. <laughs> let's uh, let's chat about something that's a lot more fun, and that is RPIs. Uh, big, big road weekend for UCF volleyball this weekend. They had to go to the Temple, and they had to do the UConn Temple road trip. They come out of there with a sweep of UConn in stores and a dramatic five-set win at Temple. Temple was the highest-ranked American team in the RPI, but uh, five-set win for the Knights, 15-13 in the fifth. And uh, I'm pulling up the box score right now. Knights, uh, for the match, hit 232. Actually got out hit by Temple 254. Um, Lost the Knights actually jumped out to a two-sets-to-zero lead before getting pushed to five. But Kia Bright had uh, what was her best offensive uh, match of the season to this point with 25 kills. Um, Taylor Gallert picked it up with 19. Allie Sable with 11. Double figure and double figures for UCF. So that was excellent. Um, and by the way, UCF did that uh, without Jayla Hervey, who did not play in that match. Wow. Um, here's why this is important. Now UCF is, is in, all alone in second place in the American uh, well, actually, in third place because SMU and Cincinnati are both seven and one in the league and tied for first. UCF at six and two, uh, ahead of USF and Temple, who are both at five and three. But even more importantly, that weekend vaults UCF up twenty-two spots in the RPI. Last week they were eighty. This week they're fifty-eighth. Uh, the uh, they're the third highest AAC team in the RPI. Cincinnati is forty-fifth. SMU is 47th. Look ahead to the schedule. Guess who's coming up? At home this weekend at the venue, it's Tulsa, who's not having a very good season on Friday night. But Sunday afternoon, the SMU Mustangs, who are, again, tied in first place in the American and the highest-ranked American team, or excuse me, the second-highest team from the American in the RPI, comes to UCF in what is a tremendous match uh, for the Knights and a really big uh, homestand here as right as after that on Thursday, the October 27th, 7 p.m., UCF against Cincinnati, who's the highest ranked 
AAC team in the RPI and also in first place right now in the conference. So uh, this is a big four-match stretch for UCF starting with this weekend, Eric. Um, really, really impressive victory for uh, Todd Dagenet's team uh, capping off the weekend at, at, uh, at Temple. Here's Todd uh, on uh, Monday after the Knights got home. Going, you look at the totality of the weekend, going in and facing all of the distraction uh, that, um, that UConn had. First of all, being a great team, and then their basketball, their midnight madness. And uh, there were a lot of things that were stacked against us there, yet we really responded in a mature way. And then um, heading into Sunday, being up 2-0, knowing that it, it, being up 2-0 meant nothing. And we knew that they were going to come back. That was not a shock. It was not a surprise. Um, we knew that they were going to push hard. and But to still have the mentality to be strong in the fifth set and to perform that well in the fifth set um, really was a great sign of maturity. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, their best performance, I think, of the season. They've been playing pretty well to this point. But uh, I don't know. What say you, Eric? I mean, this is this, uh, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, championship teams are made of, that kind of a road back-to-back like that. Well, more specifically, I mean, go back to the Temple match. UCF jumped out to a two-set lead. All right. Temple comes back, makes a ties it up two sets on. You're like, oh, boy. You know, and, and, you know, this was a story last year. UCF would cough up a two set lead. You're thinking, man, are they going to blow this two set lead? UCF gets off, regroups, gets off to a great start in the fifth set. But then Temple comes back, tries to keep fighting back. But UCF held them off and they won the match in five sets. That was the thing that impressed me was. They faced adversity in that match. They were up two sets, and then Temple hit them with their best. And next thing you know, yeah. it's a do-or-die set. And it def- maybe could turn into a defining one of the defining moments of the season. And they hung in there, and they found a way to win. I don't know if they would have won that, you know, maybe last year, maybe even earlier this season, because we saw that. We were both there for the LSU match, where it was they kind of – it was a emotional match, and they kind of had nothing left by that fifth set. Well, they had plenty of left for that Temple match. That was the thing that jumped out to me. Such a wild match, intense match, to beat a very good Temple team in a significant conference game on the road. Uh, huge, huge, huge win uh, for the program there for this season and for that team moving forward. Now the key is you don't want to have a letdown. And it's, you know, it's strange because – on paper, it looks like Tulsa's, you know, Tulsa's had a, they've had their struggles. Uh, can't overlook them. That's still a talented team. I mean, that's a very talented program that's been to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I'm stunned that they, they have were struggled. our bugaboo for years back in the conference USA. Yeah, games. they might be the, they could be the, the, the kind of a surprise disappointment, if you will, in this league, but it tells you how deep this league is. But you have to take care of that match first before you can even start looking to SMU on Sunday, which is obviously setting up to be a huge match. Because obviously, look, you're in the, you're right there for the regular season championship, which is the obvious way to go to get to the NCAA tournament. You don't want it to come down to a committee. So, right. and you know, so that's this stretch, uh, will define if UCF can win the champ, might, might help define if UCF wins the championship or not. Um, you know, a lot of ways. Playing SMU at home, you got Cincinnati at home with Jordan Thompson coming to town. Uh, very interesting stretch here for this team and how they handle that 
and how they handle this prosperity and, and it, it because it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. And uh, but heck of a heck of a weekend to win two on the road up in the Northeast. Yeah. So next, like you said, the next four matches at home, including uh, coming up this week for UCF volleyball, uh, Tulsa Friday at seven and SMU Sunday at one. So be sure to be there at the venue, especially for that SMU match. We need a lot of fans out at that one. Um, women's soccer. Uh, after the loss to UConn, three nothing in stores, they m- met up in Temple, at Temple, in Philadelphia, uh, and got the victory over the Owls two nothing. Uh, key victory there for UCF women's soccer because they, but you know it was one that they were pretty much expected to get because Temple is not very good. They're dead last in the American, haven't won a game in the conference yet this season. In fact, they've lost every game. They haven't even tied anyone yet. But uh, UCF now nine points back in the standings in uh, seventh place. Or actually, excuse me, not seventh place, but they're essentially tied for fifth with USF and Cincinnati. problem for UCF women's soccer right now is they're running out of matches. They uh, are home October, uh, excuse me, this coming Thursday, October the 20th uh, for Cincinnati. That's going to be a very big game. uh, Big match. Big match, yeah, big match. At home, uh, and both these teams are tied in the standings at seven points. And then uh, East Carolina, Sunday, October 23rd. East Carolina uh, has only gotten one draw, all the others' losses. But then we talked about that tough road stretch at Tulsa, at Memphis, uh, two teams that are in the top uh, four in the conference. So uh, these points in the standings are just hanging there, waiting for you to take them. But if you're good enough, you got to get them. Uh, opportunity right now for UCF as it stands. It's, it's three points in four matches. If you get, if you're able to win all four in a row, that's twelve points to add to your seven that you currently have. Um, but you got to start getting results now because we're running out down to the last four matches of the season, the last two weekends, and uh, you got to come up big against uh, Cincinnati on October the twentieth. RPI UCF, like I said, still strong at forty six. But when you're mm. one match over 500, yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna look too good to the committee if you're having no. to try and sneak in on an at large. No, uh, that's the thing. This is the time you got to go on a run here. Cincinnati's the defending American Conference tournament champions too. They're in a bubble situation too. They're in a, I mean, two teams that are very similar from that standpoint. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it starts with these two home matches: Cincinnati and East Carolina. Then you you go on the road to finish the regular season. You want to get yourself qualified for the conference tournament. It's a mess. I mean, to figure out who the six teams will be that make the quarter, the conference tournament. Number one, Jeff. I mean, that's the thing. You got to make sure you get yourself in there. Yeah, because right now it's a three way tie and one of those teams is going to left out if going to get left out if the season ends today. That would be UCF, but, um, you got to get, you got to get those results now. Now, it's worth noting in UCF's first half of the schedule has been definitely front-loaded. The, the schedule, they had to play at USF. They had to play at Connecticut. They had to, you know, they played the SMU, who, who's been, you know, at the top of the league. So it, it, they do have those tough teams. Now, Memphis, who they finished the regular season with, there's another team in the bubble. I mean, this has been an interesting year uh, for the American Conference. You haven't had the dominant teams, although I think UConn is starting to is the favorite, but it's been a very much more depth 
into the American Conference than maybe in the past so far in the four years. And it's usually been a one or two team race and stuff like that, but it's much more in depth this year, uh, which is good for the league in a way, but, uh, we hope to have in the, in the next few weeks, in a few weeks, right around conference tournament time, depending on how things shape out, uh, Chris Henderson, who does a lot of the women's soccer coverage and projections, he's going to help us preview maybe that conference tournament using UCF in there and kind of what UCF's going to have to do in the NCAA tournament because you're right, Jeff. Uh, they got to get some wins here in the next four matches of the regular season. And I think they got to do well in the conference tournament to get themselves into the tournament. Uh, you don't, you know, if, if you kind of split games here and there, I don't think that's going to cut it to make it into the field. Uh, 46 is kind of right on the line. You know, that's on the line yeah. for an at large. So, I mean, obviously you want to get into the conference tournament and you want to win the tournament. That's the goal. That way you automatically get in. But you also in that, if you can't win the conference tournament, the next best thing you got to do is I think you got to win out or at least go three and one in the next four matches, maybe three oh and one. Uh, in the next four matches and get yourself into the conference tournament in a, in a, in a very good momentum. And then you're, you know, get yourself into the final, uh, at least I think to feel really good about your chances. Um, so the good news is though, it's in your hands or maybe in this case in your feet. <laughs> um, you know, it's in their control. Uh, right. I, I think coach Ada would tell you that it's in their control. If, if it's either they're going to get it done or they don't get it done, it's, it's not like they need somebody else's help. They have it in their hands to control their own faith and their future. Yeah. And, and but like we said, we got to get those results now with, uh, starting with this no weekend coming up. Uh, men's soccer came up short against, uh, Stetson in the land, two to one. Uh, of their eight losses this year for the, uh, men's soccer team, six of them have been by one goal. They have two remaining home matches. The next one is against UConn on October the 22nd. UConn right now in first place or tied for first place with Cincinnati and USF in the men's soccer uh, standings. The Knights have um, two conference matches remaining after that at Temple October 29th and at home for Cincinnati uh, on November the 5th. And uh, one non-conference match against FIU. That's coming up on this coming Tuesday, October 25th. Uh, down in Miami. So if you're some of the Knights in Miami, uh, see if you can come out and support the Knights for that one. Um, news, by the way, on the schedule, the Wednesday, November 2nd match, which was uh, slated for uh, slated in Boca Raton against Florida Atlantic, that's the second-to-last match of the season. That match has been canceled. So the Knights men's soccer team has had three games canceled this year, and they've lost six of their eight, uh, and they've had six of their eight losses by one goal game. Just nothing but bad luck for this team. Um, but hopefully they can wrap it up with a couple. And believe it or not, looking at the schedule right now, um, if you get hot in those last three conference matches, you know, you got them against really good competition, but there's just a few matches left. And, they, and obviously there's only, you only play seven conference matches in men's soccer. So um, trying to see how they can, we'll see how they close out the season with these key uh, two, basically two of their last three at home, two of their last three conference matches um, at home. All right, Eric. So big weekend coming up. Like we talked about, a lot of road stuff happening with the UConn football game. Uh, what are you going to be paying the most attention to? Well, I'm looking at circling that Sunday. UCF. Volleyball match, yeah. Well, not only that, you got the last regular season home match 
for women's soccer going on at the same time. Senior day. Uh, again, East Carolina senior day. Correct. It's always interesting when you have the two sporting events kind of going at the same time. It's always we, tricky. We're in mid-October and it's already senior day. We're already having a senior day. Isn't that wild? Unbelievable. I mean, that's, uh, They're right, man. They now, need now, to extend this schedule. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting how that works out. Uh, obviously, the SMU match is at 1 o'clock. That's a big match. Uh, hopefully, UCF can get through Tulsa and set up that showdown, and who knows? Uh, maybe put themselves in position to play Cincinnati for first place in the conference. Uh, that's a huge match. I know you're looking forward to being there for that. And then, as I mentioned, women's soccer, big home stretch here. Cincinnati Thursday night's a huge match, and then, obviously, the last home match of the regular season for the seniors, as you mentioned. They will be taking on East Carolina at 1 o'clock. Um, my it's suggestion from is, the volleyball match, unfortunately, I wish they would stagger that. But anyway, yeah, that's it's tricky. Uh, you know, I've done this in the past where I would go to both and kind of pick my spots. You know, there's always that intermission in volleyball where, so I've done that where I would go to volleyball, then maybe head over to soccer during halftime. And then obviously the matches will kind of dictate itself. You know, depending on how lengthy the volleyball match goes, you might have time to watch the last 20, 30 minutes of the women's soccer match. Yeah, and, it's also, and it's also tricky on on a Sunday because those teams have to get home and they have flights to yes. catch. Correct. So it so it's not like you can do like a one o'clock and then a four o'clock. If you're going to stagger them, you got to do it like one of them has to go at like 11 a.m. And no one wants to play that early, especially soccer. Not in the, the, the conditions uh, with the heat and everything. Uh, that's, you know, I don't think they want to do that. So. Although it should be uh, nice so, this weekend, it should be in the seventies this sure. weekend. So, so that's that, that's the one I would be looking at and to see it how big big homes you know weekend uh, for while volleyball and women's soccer that I think will help tell the picture of where both teams uh, as you know postseason aspirations down the road here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the volleyball match on Sunday against SMU, and I'm I'm really anxious to see how UCF responds on the football field. Um, going up to a, which should be a miserable East Hartford, Connecticut, to play uh, UConn. How do you, how do you respond after a heartbreaking home loss with one second to go? We're going to find out the character of that team uh, here in the next couple days. So, uh, all right, Eric, give us an update. What else are you working on this week? I'm just going to watch all that. I'm going to be on Eric, Eric Lopez Elo for the latest on Twitter. Uh, you know, who knows? I might try to go sneak out there for that Sunday, do a little bit of both, depending on how things go the next few days. Uh, that might be an appearance there. Cause I mean, I haven't been to a women's soccer match this year, which is stunning. It's just, it's kind of weird how the schedules worked out that way. Yeah. Uh, volleyball, I've been to one. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe we can plan something out. I know where you're going to be, but maybe, yep. uh, maybe I can cover for you and do a little soccer and then hang into volleyball. Who knows? We'll figure it out. But yeah, I'm looking forward uh, to, that, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And you can hopefully hear from, uh, Coach Sahadak as well on that, on that as well, too. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, no, like I, like you said, I'm going to be a volleyball Friday night and then Sunday afternoon doing PA at the venue. Make sure you come out for that. And uh, where can people reach out to you, Eric? Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. That's the best place to do it and see my latest developments. All right. And you can hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter and hit us both up at uh, UCF underscore Banneret. So, uh, oh, by the way, don't forget, we just released our bonus show, our uh, interview with, or rather your interview, Eric, with uh, John Roddick, the director of UCF Tennis. 
uh, and Andy Roddick's older brother. Make sure you check that out wherever you subscribe to podcasts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, don't forget to hit us up on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret, and uh, subscribe to our email newsletter uh, at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Thanks again, Eric. We'll talk to you later, all right? Always a pleasure, Jeffrey. All right, and for Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you again next week. <laughs>